Our sermon lesson is Matthew 6, 19-34. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, for moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his lifespan? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. This is the gospel of the Lord. Father, we ask that your word would be like rain that falls on thirsty ground, producing new life in our hearts. May it be so in the morning. So, this morning, if you're new, we've been journeying together for a while through the Gospel of Mark, which tells the story of Jesus, of who he was, of what he did, and why it matters so much to us. And we're currently in this extended section of teaching known as the Sermon on the Mount. As we've been saying week after week, it's not just a collection of do's and don'ts that Jesus is telling us. Rather, what we are given is a vision, God's vision for human flourishing. How we are meant to live in this life that God provides, and we are meant to be channels of this life to others. But just because that is God's good design for us doesn't mean that we always live in that good design. And this morning, Jesus is putting his finger on a very specific way in which we find ourselves misaligned with God's heart for us, our flourishing, what it means to be truly human. When you think about all the commands that are given in Scripture, God describing how we are meant to live and what the good life looks like for ourselves and for others, it might be surprising to some of you here that the most repeated command throughout Scripture over 300 times is do not be 
free. Over and over and over and over and over again, God is speaking to his people saying, do not be afraid. What does that tell you about the human condition? And what does that tell you about God's heart for you? As far as the human condition, it, it tells us that fear runs incredibly deep in every single one of us. Worry, anxiety, panic, dread. These are all things that are not just occasional emotions we feel, but they are the normal human experience. It also tells us something about God's heart and his, and his desire for us, that he desires for us a kind of peace, a kind of rest, a kind of settledness, a kind of security that only he can give us. And so this morning, Jesus is entering into this place of, of great difficulty, and he is offering words of both challenge and it's that that we're going to look at this morning. And there's three ways that I want to approach this. I want to look at the fruit. Uh, rather, I want to look at the root of worry. Then I want to look at the fruits of worry. And then I want us to consider a better way. So worry, it's root, it's fruit, and then the better way that Jesus himself chose us. So first, the, the root of worry. Being a dad to middle and high school boys means that I'm always learning new phrases and words that are coming along. So one of, one of the newest ones of these for me is this idea of being shook. So my kids will notice when I'm rattled by something or something seems to unsettle me and they will go to Katie and they will say, uh, dad is shook. <laughs> and what they mean is that something has rattled dad. He seems unsettled and he's, he's just off. You can think of it like one of those big gongs where you take a hammer and you hit it as hard as you can. It makes this loud initial noise, but that, that noise continues to have reverberations on and on. It slowly fades, but it, it keeps going. Even beyond just the triggering event, it has this lasting noise. So when we think about the root of worry, we're, we're trying to go even below just the triggering event and, and look at what is happening in the human heart that gives these anxious reverberations their, their power. So in, in trying to summarize as best as I can what is happening in the heart of anxiety, you can say it like this. The, the root of worry is a lack of control over things that really matter to us. The root of worry is a lack of control over things that really matter to us. That is why when Jesus is talking about anxiety, he takes the conversation in a very strange direction, talking about treasure. Because Jesus knows something very significant about the human heart and how it operates and how what we treasure is deeply connected to what we find ourselves worried about. You can say that according to Jesus, we are all treasure hunters. Now, like pirates with patches, looking at maps, sailing on boats to dig holes for buried gold. But Jesus uses rather the word treasure to describe something much broader of whatever is valuable to us. So you could say that treasure is what matters 
to you. Treasure is what our hearts desire. Treasure is what we spend our thoughts, time, energy, and resources trying to acquire and trying to preserve. Stop and think about your own life. What is it that matters to you? What's important? What do you find yourself thinking about giving time, energy, and resources to obtain or to keep? Because according to Jesus, whatever it is that we prize, that is what we will pursue. In his own words in verse 21, he says, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. But Jesus doesn't just look at us and say, I want you to pursue whatever it is that will make you happy. Because Jesus knows in a way that we don't that, there, that not all treasures are created equal. That there are some treasures that we pursue that give us life. And there are some treasures we pursue that take life from us. There are some treasures that we pursue that will help others. There are some treasures we pursue that will hurt others. There are some treasures that we pursue that are lasting and ours to enjoy forever. And there are other treasures that we pursue that are fleeting and no matter how hard we try, it's like sand that will just slip out of our hands. And so Jesus says, verses 19 and 20, Do not lay up for yourselves treasure on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven, where neither moss nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. So over the years, Katie and I have done all sorts of different plans for budgeting and for managing money. And years ago, we went through a season where we went through the, the Dave Ramsey envelope system, which many of you are probably familiar with, and some of you have done. What this means is that you don't use credit cards, debit cards, you just use cash. Right? You have cash in different envelopes for different things, and when the cash is gone, it's, it's gone. You just don't have any more money to spend. If you're doing that, what that means is... Uh, you're carrying around a lot of cash, a lot of different envelopes, all the time. And there was one day where uh, Katie was getting her car, and there was a lot going on, and so she just put her envelopes right on the roof of the car. <laughs> and when she started driving away, she realized pretty quickly something is wrong. So you look in the rear mirror, and there's just cash <laughs> everywhere. Now, just for the record, Having other people's cash rain down on you is an awesome experience. <laughs> Having your cash rain down on other people, not so much. Now, able to go back and, and collect uh, most of it, but that was such a powerful moment of the things that we try so hard to hold on to so easily just seems to, to fly away. And it reminded me of these words from Proverbs where the author says, don't wear yourself out trying to get rich. Be wise enough to know when to quit. In the blink of an eye, wealth disappears, for it will sprout wings and fly away like an eagle. 
a little sweet mineral for me, for me, but when Jesus distinguishes between two different types of treasure, treasure on earth and treasure in heaven, he's not saying that things in this world that they don't matter. But what he is reminding us that the things that we often claim to hold on to are very, very, very temporary. And his heart for us is to have treasure that endures. And a kind of treasure that satisfies, that isn't like the empty, broken sisters that Mark was talking about, that just don't hold water. One way we can begin to see what we treasure is by listening to our fears and our anxieties. What are you anxious about right now? It could be in this very moment. As you look towards this week, as you look towards this month, as you look towards the rest of this year, or even the rest of your life, what are you worried about? What are your worries telling you about what matters to you? What are your worries telling you about what you want to control? And what are your worries telling you about your view of God and His care and His commitment to you? And this brings us to the second thing I want us to look at, and that is the fruit of worry. When our lives are filled with this kind of anxiety, what kind of fruit does it Produce and, and what I hope you walk away with is this, this strange connection that worrying is withering. Often we, we spend our wheels worrying, thinking that it will produce some kind of good fruit that will settle us, that will control life and bring a kind of security. But that kind of, of worrying doesn't give life, it takes it. Worrying leads to withering. You can think of the voice of worry like the voice of a fortune teller trying to look into this mysterious crystal ball, telling you all of the different things that might happen to you. Where we think if we just imagine the worst and can prepare for the worst, then we will be okay. Uh, this is an area of life, not me to brag, but I'm really, really good at it. I'm a good at imagining all sorts of negative possibilities that exist out there so that I'm mentally and emotionally prepared for whatever might happen. And 99.99% of the time, none of it comes true, but at least I'm prepared. <laughs> Worrying promises something for us that it doesn't deliver on. In Jesus' own words in verse 27, he says, Which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? You can think about it this way. We often think that worrying is like shifting the gears of our lives into this off-road, four-wheel drive that can help us go through whatever kind of hard terrain life throws at us. When in reality, our worrying and anxious spinning is like are being stuck in the mud, pressing the gas full, and our wheels are just spinning and spinning and spinning and spinning, and we're not going anywhere. There is a good place for genuine concern about things that matter to us. Good planning, faithful preparation, and Jesus even talks about that 
but there is a massive difference between anxious spinning and a kind of restful trust and settledness. And it's not just that this kind of anxious spinning is futile, it also can be dangerous. Look at what's happening in verse 24. Jesus says, no one can serve two masters. He'll either hate the one and love the other, or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. The word Jesus here uses for money is mammon, which includes a lot more than just cash, even material possessions. Which here we have to pause and just admit that by historical standards and even by global standards, we all in this room are incredibly wealthy. So these are words that should be very relevant to us. You can say it this way. Whatever you choose to surprise in your life, you are also choosing to have some type of power over your life. Whatever you choose to surprise in your life, whatever matters, you're also getting that some type of power over your life. In the 1800s, John D. Rockefeller was the first billionaire in the U.S., and at one time he was one of the most richest people in the world. He grew an oil empire from the ground up. He had no want for money. There's an interview one time where a reporter asked him this very insightful question, how much money is enough? You know what he said? He said, just a little bit The words of Ben Franklin, whose face is plastered on our $100 bills. He explains this a different way. He said, money never made a person happy yet, nor will it ever. The more one has, the more one wants. Instead of filling a vacuum, it makes one. I think Jesus puts his finger on money in particular because of the amount of control it gives us on other areas of life. With money, you can buy food, you can buy shelter, you can buy safety, you can buy pleasure, comfort. Money is this gateway to all sorts of other things that we desire. And so when Jesus puts his, his finger on money, he's not saying that money in itself is bad. He's pointing to the way that we use it in our anxious spinning about life and where we look to for security, for peace, for comfort, for pleasure, for protection. And it works that way with all kinds of treasures. The things that we prize have power over us. And once again, it's not that these treasures are bad in of themselves, it's that when they begin to take center stage in our life, which is why Jesus redirects us and says, Seek first the kingdom, his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you as well. But this gets us to our final point. Not just looking at really the root of our worry and the fruit that it produces, which is not good. But Jesus, in love, in grace, in compassion, leads us in a better way, faithfully, patiently. When Jesus says at the end of verse 34, don't be anxious about tomorrow, you have just enough trouble for today, part of what he's saying is there's, there is always, always, always more to worry about. If you want to go down the track of trying to anticipate what bad things are going to happen, it, it's a never-ending black hole. There is always more 
it always is deeper. It is always darker. And so Jesus is saying, don't go there. Stay here today. And I want you to be grounded in some other beautiful realities that will give you a kind of peace and security that nothing else can give. Sometimes when we approach worry, we approach it like one of those old whack-a-mole games, you know, and you, this might age me a little bit. You went to the arcade and this mole pops up and you can as fast as you can. Sometimes we we approach Jesus' words like that. Jesus is saying, like, hey, would you just quit worrying about stuff? Here's what I want you to do. When something pops up in your life, just say, I'm not gonna worry about that. I'm not gonna worry about that. Um, it just doesn't work really well. And Jesus knows this, and so he redirects us. He redirects our attention away from our fears and towards his faithful care. You see how that works? Away from our fears, deep, scary, real, imaginary, towards his faithful care. Jesus says, look at the birds, consider the lilies. I want you to stop and look around at my world and the intricate, attentive care that I give to it. And then, then I want you to remember that you are of so much more value to me. Some of you are going to make fun of me for what I say next. But uh, I feed the squirrels on my back porch. <laughs> And there is one in particular that we've named Jumpy Squirrel, which if you or your kids watch Curious George, you'll get the rats. So, jump, it's got to be where Jumpy Squirrel will even come to the door and look up and wait. I'll get my food ready, and I'll go out there and scurry away, I'll throw it down, and then I'll shut the door, and then it's right back there. So, Jumpy Squirrel and I have actually grown very tight. As we have a bond and it's trust and, and provision. But when it comes to caring for my own children as their father who wants to care and provide for them, it's, it's night and day. There's, there's no comparison. And Jesus is trying to communicate something similar about the heart of the father. He's saying, the, the Father, look around, and, and it's lilies and birds and his creation. He, he is very, very attentive in ways we can't imagine here. But his care for you, his attentiveness to you, his knowing what Jesus says, the number of hairs on your head is so much more than you realize. Often my my own personal posture and prayer is often approaching God, thinking that I'm informing Him of difficult things that are happening in my life as if He wasn't aware and didn't know them. But Jesus says that is not the way it works. He says before you even speak, your Heavenly Father knows what you need. Attentive care to those that He loves. And here is the upside-down beautiful nature of the gospel that we hope in, that God in His goodness and grace, not because of what we have done, has chosen to make us His treasure, His prized possession, that we can see 
what a great price he was willing to pay for us. That is what the cross is all about. Payment in full for a people that he prizes. And in light of that payment and investment and purchase, I want you to think about the logic that Paul gives us in one of those letters in Romans. He says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? The logic there is when we're spinning anxiously and wondering if God cares and if he will do what's good for us, we are meant to look back at the most audacious gift of self-giving love at the cross and say, if he is willing to do that for me, for us, why would he not be attentive to every other detail in our life? And when we get that, that we are that kind of treasure to him, it helps us to say with the old hand, be thou my vision, written not in the 1800s, but in the 800s, where the author said, Riches I heed not, nor man's empty praise, thou mine inheritance, thou and thou and always, thou and thou only, first in my heart, high king of heaven, my treasure, thou art. The better way that Jesus leaves us with is when we are anxious and when we are worry and spinning is not just to get frustrated with ourselves and to try to push those anxieties down, but to redirect them into a God who cares and who holds nothing back in his pursuit of our being. So that we can say with Psalm 53, not if I'm afraid, but when I am afraid, I will trust in the one who loved me. Jesus, you invite us to come to you in all of our weariness and all of our anxieties. You say that you care for us, that you love us, that you love us, that you don't trust in your eyes. As we go about in our spinning anxieties, I pray that you would help redirect our hearts to your faith, enduring, sacrificial care and provision for us in the name of your Son. Thank you.